welcome to the LIPN Podcast, brought to you by the members of the Long Island Professional Network, where business professionals come to grow. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Mara Loeschner, Marketing and Communications Consultant and Podcast Producer for Smith Douglas Associates. As someone whose entire career has been defined by words and language, I was fascinated when I met Eileen Devaney, a speech-language pathologist with Seeds of the Willistons. A member of the Long Island Professional Network, Eileen has dedicated her life to give back the voice of those struggling to speak. I sat down with her today to talk about what speech-language pathologists actually do, who they help, and what makes the job so fulfilling. Thank you for joining us this morning. I'm curious, what exactly is a speech-language pathologist? A speech-language pathologist is a person who deals with communication. There are two aspects of it. Speech is how we say things, and language is what we say. The words, the vocabulary, the grammar. The speech aspect is anything that would take away from how a person is saying things. Maybe it's articulation. Maybe it's their voice quality that's too high or too low or who to, or very raspy or hoarse. It could also be stuttering, interfering with the flow. So these are the two main areas, speech, language, and anything that interferes with the smooth connection or the smooth ability to communicate is under our domain. Now, when most people think of a speech therapist, they usually think of, again, like you said, stuttering or autism. What are some of the other reasons someone would need a speech-language pathologist? Well, a speech-language pathologist can start as early as birth because we deal with swallowing. So in the neonatal unit, an infant would meet with the speech pathologist to help with the swallowing. She's the one to determine what liquids are going to go through. Then as you get older, and the child is beginning to speak, if they're not beginning to speak, if they don't have 10 words at age one, if they don't have two word phrases at age two, these are all delays. Also, by the time they're two and a half or three, some sounds should be clear. Not all sounds, but like a P, a B, a M, a T, a D, you should know those sounds between two and three. We really don't usually address articulation until closer to two and a half. And at that point, it's determined whether the child is just developmental or it's really a problem. I've had people come in to me with a three-year-old and say, they can't say R and they can't say any of the blends. And I'm like, great, because that's not a problem. That's something that you will get to by the time you're six or seven. Those are the later developing sounds. So when we address and we look at a child, we'll look, is this appropriate for his or her age. We want to know what they can do and we have guidelines that we go and to find out what is happening at that point. So that's what we would deal with with the little children. Do they have enough words? Is their grammar so poor that their sentences are not making sense? Are they using he instead of she or him instead of her? Are the verbs, you know, the irregular verbs, English is a tough language and other languages, they just add an ending to make something past tense. We sometimes add an ending. We sometimes change the word. You know, tooth, plural is teeth. Mouse, plural is mice. There's not a lot of rules that it follows. So sometimes children with delays, 
these are some of the things that you hear first. Then as the child progresses, we have the child in school. Suddenly, they did fine all those preschool years, suddenly they're not reading. You know, why are they not reading? And now, the way the educational system is set up, children are expected to have a good number of words. I think it's almost like 100 sight words by the end of kindergarten. If they're not there, more is going to be expected of them in first grade. A lot is expected of children in school today. So you always want to make sure they're at the minimum level of what they need to have to proceed to the next level. So if a child's not learning in school, is their phonological awareness skills missing? Are they missing some memory skills where they just don't have the ability to remember everything this teacher says? Many learning disabilities are subtly noticed in first grade and like, oh, she'll get to it. But if you Pay attention and watch for a pattern. One thing is not going to make a child have a learning disability, but you look for a pattern of what's going on. Because if we can catch a child early, there's a lot of things that can be done to help them proceed. I have a child coming in next week and the mom's like, he's not reading. He has no phonics skills. And why? I don't know. I'll find out once I do an evaluation. And then as the child is older, sometimes the children with learning disabilities, they'll continue with speech right through to high school because they need that extra support. Extra support because speaking turns into writing. If you can't speak well, you're not going to write well. And sometimes the written word is what we're addressing with the older children. Or they might have a difficulty like stuttering where initially, stuttering is noticed when they're early. Let me just backtrack a little bit and say stuttering is normal between two and three because at that point a child's vocabulary is going from about 500 words at age two to about two or three thousand words at age three. And if you think yourself, if I have to learn three thousand new words this year, I might stutter a little bit too. But natural stuttering or stuttering that's that needs to be addressed just naturally occurs between the ages of three and five it often runs in families so if you have someone in the family it's kind of something you watch out for oftentimes if we address it during those years of three to five the children can rethink and are able to come out being very fluent and it rarely manifests itself again if we address it after five we're just getting control of it. Oftentimes people just leave it and I just had a, I have a client right now who began, who has stuttered his whole life and is now addressing it as a, as a college student. So it's never too late to address it. There's always techniques that can be learned, but again, then you're just trying to get it under control. Like I've had children come in who stutter, who quickly pick up the techniques. So in four, or five months they're out of here. Sometimes they need to come back for a refresher. I always say that to some of my teenagers who stutter. I say, you know, sometimes, you know, you think you have it under control and then something happens. And I just want to say stuttering is not an emotional disability, but it can have some emotional ramifications. Like if you're stuttering, you're going to be feeling very self-conscious about how you're talking. Or what oftentimes happens is they will change the words. So, and if you read any of the biographies of people who stutter, they will report how they ordered a meal that they didn't like in a restaurant because they weren't going to stutter on those words. And I just recently, I have the college student, and I said to him, Did, he said, yeah, I change words. 
you know so if you're going to stutter on chocolate you're going to get vanilla maybe you don't really like vanilla ice cream you really wanted the chocolate so i try to convince people that we're not going to you know that's one thing we're not changing any more words did you ever see the movie the king's speech yes i mean that was it was funny it mm -hmm. was it was good and Part of it was realistic and part of it was unrealistic. You know, we don't do some of the crazy things they did in that one. But, you know, you can see how s people who stutter have been tormented for years, you know. And there are people who have chosen not to speak because of it. But, again, National Disabilities Act has made sure that no one is denied work or anything else because of it. A couple of years ago, I had a client and he pretty much had the stuttering under control. But he was working in a particular area that they needed to use the vocabulary in that area. So when he got a write-up, um, and he was doing a great job, he was very happy, he had graduated from college and he wanted to be in this particular area. So but he got his first review, they said um, one of the things was, he w you don't always use the correct terminology for our field. So he came back to me and he said to me, what should I do? I don't say those words because those are the words I get stuck on. And I'm like, well, you have two choices. You can either tell the truth and say to her, you know, I stutter. And as a result, sometimes I change words, which is, of course, what I've always taught him not to do. But he's he does still, when push comes to shove and you don't want to be embarrassed, you're going to say the different word. And I understand why he did it. But then I said, so, or you can just be happy with this. I said, but the reality is, no one can deny you your job because you stuttered on a word. So he thought about it, and he did go back. And the boss that she, he had, the supervisor, said he had, she had no idea and that she would change it. She said, but start using the right word. It doesn't matter. And it was good because he did start using the right words. And you know what? After a short time, he didn't stutter on those words. He was more comfortable. So does so repetition help Repetition stop stuttering? helps. Yeah. One of the hardest things for people who stutter is that I, the kids always say this the first day of school in high school because they always go around every room, what's your name? And you're supposed to say, my name is Eileen. So what happens is they always stutter on their name. So usually if I have them in therapy the week in the last week in August, I have them practice that a lot so that they go in, use their airflow, and they're able to come across. Where do you get most of the people calling you? Do you get them from the parents or do you actually get them from the schools? We get them from everywhere. Sometimes the schools will say, look, we're giving them so much support this is the maximum we can give you know given this diagnosis this is the maximum you might want to supplement it i will get referrals from insurance companies i had an insurance company call this morning and asked me if i could treat a particular diagnosis and that's sometimes where the the referral comes to i would say that most of our referrals the people got us from their friends word of mouth is a big population where a lot of our clients are local, especially when they're coming two or three times a week. You don't want to be traveling a half hour to the speech therapist. So uh, because of that, the local people are the people that refer us over and over again. So speech therapy is covered by insurance? Speech therapy is covered by insurance. You have to look at your policy. And again, often to every policy is different. They write them 
and there are exclusions. So what happens is oftentimes a parent will call and say, is speech therapy covered? Yes. But some policies have a phrase in there and it says speech therapy is only covered if it's not developmental, if it's the result of a stroke, a congenital abnormality, or an injury. So those people, it's excluded. They always pay for the evaluation. So if you want an evaluation to determine, we can always do that and then see what you're going to do from there. Insurance doesn't usually cover things that are considered developmental? Well, it depends on the policy. Some policies have that. Some policies are more generous. They cover all of it. Or there'll be limitations. This policy has 30 visits. This policy has 60 visits. So when you call us for an evaluation, we're going to ask for that insurance information up front so that we can check it out ahead of time and say to you, okay, if you're covered, you have this much of a copayment and you have this many sessions. Oftentimes, some insurances say, well, do the evaluation. We'll give you approval for the evaluation, send it in to us, and then we will determine if it's medically necessary. With the strong use for children here, why don't they actually have speech therapists in the schools? They do have speech therapists in the schools. They have speech therapists beginning in kindergarten, and as again, the criteria is tough. You know, you have to be below the below one standard deviation below and you have to have it has to be impacting them educationally so if it's like an articulation problem that's only a couple of sounds that's not going to impact them if their vocabulary is just a little weak it's not going to impact them they have to fulfill those qualifications and their requirements and that's what they are they have speech therapists they're very good speech therapists i work closely with a lot of them um, oftentimes children with autism. I have districts that refer us to some of the children. I tested somebody this morning that she said he's getting five days a week in school, which is amazing. They're doing a great job. However, she wants to do a little bit more. She can come on Saturdays and have him seen and try to build that because he's got a lot of good skills. I saw that in the evaluation, but he's not communicating. He's got a lot of vocabulary, but it's not, he needs it expanded. He needs to be able to carry on the conversation, the give and take. So what happens is people supplement it. And then people, children, especially children with autism, when we get a break like this. So in schools, you, you have a lot of breaks and the Therapists, if they have a Monday holiday, they do try to make them up, but there's just so many slots in the week, and they're booked solid from the day they, from the minute they start to the minute they end. So some of the, I had a mom yesterday of a child with autism, and she said to me, all right, what days are you open next week? Because I want to at least come two or three times. And she'll do that because she wants to have the schedule, she wants the constant repetition, and it gives him just that little more push during a time of a break. The school therapists are primarily concerned more on the educational aspects of what this possible disability may be as opposed to the social. Right. So if a parent is more concerned with the, well, he's struggling a little bit in school, but he's holding his own, however, he has a hard time speaking with friends. Right. And that's what it is. They always say to, in school that saying, we're determining if this child has a disability or just has some difficulty. And that's the difference. Is this truly a speech disability? And that's where they have to draw the line. You know, they have so much funding and so many workers, and they have to be able to meet the needs of the people who have a true disability. So sometimes it has to be sometimes something that outside we address outside of the school. 
some of the very bright children can mm-hmm. fall through the cracks. And I say that to parents all the time when they call Nelika, but she's struggling. It's taking her two hours to do homework and she's in third grade. And I'm like, that's not right. It shouldn't take her two hours. Let's see what she's doing. And an evaluation in terms of language and learning can kind of give you more insight into what, you know, what she's doing and how she's struggling. The school is not going to address it because she's not failing and because she doesn't score low enough. Sometimes on the, if you do some of the processing tests and they score very low, then yes, then the school will say, oh, okay. But it's easy for them to miss because they pick up the ones where the children are really failing or the teacher says to them, this child is not getting anything. And yet, you know, they're passing the tests. You know, so what, that's what we have to look at. We have to look at the whole child. And that's what we get to, that's the luxury of being in a private practice. I get to look at the whole child. What sort of information does an initial evaluation tell you? When someone sits down, what questions do you ask them? And We look at the whole child. So we look at, we say to them, what happened during birth? Was there anything that was uh, unusual about his birth, about his delivery? What happened during the preschool and the early toddler years? Oftentimes we'll have to, oh, well, he had some febrile seizures. You know, all those things affect the brain in some way or another. Some children have them and go off and and nothing ever happens. But sometimes it can be. You know, we don't know for sure because nothing can be proven in that area. But we want to look at the whole child. I want to learn everything. That Are they speaking more than one language? You know, sometimes a child comes to me and he's got low scores, but they're speaking three languages in the home. That right there is a gift. It'll come up. They say all the bilingual children, yeah, they're a little bit below when they start. But by the time they're in third grade, they're at the level with everybody else, and they're speaking two languages, which is more than the, the one language child. So that's important. So we look at that, and then we do some testing. And I do testing according to what they have told me, they see as difficulties. I might do an, I usually do an articulation test, I might do just a plain vocabulary test, and then I'll do like some of the language tests. Can they manipulate words to form a sentence? Can they complete a sentence if I leave off the last word? Can they tell me how words go together? Can they tell me the categories that words belong in? And this is all part of the language that we have. We don't just learn 20 vocabulary words and then use them. We have to understand them, and that's what I'm looking for. And as a child gets older, I'm looking for maybe some of you know, the processing skills. Do they have good auditory memory? Do they have good auditory discrim? Do they have good phonological awareness? These are all things that are going to affect not only the reading, but their ability to remember all the information. Sometimes we have to teach a child how to remember things. They just didn't pick it up. You or I might remember somebody's face by what they were wearing, and every time we see that woman, we'll think of, oh, she had those funny pink earrings on. But sometimes we have to teach association or teach them how to remember a series of three words. And these are things that we do in speech therapy. We'll give them, and we do, with the little children, it's more through play. And as they get older, we just teach the skills. What are some of the tools that you use to teach these We things? use everything. In terms of the children, we use games. If I'm trying to teach categories, today I might bring in the farm with all the farm animals. Tomorrow I might bring the castle with the knights and the princesses. I might have the kitchen with all the food. So we have a lot of toys here. 
and then we'll have pictures to correlate with them and put them in a notebook so if I'm asking you to remember all the fruits and then I say to the mom or the dad when you take a food shopping mention it and say what's this what's this should we buy this or this and then they have to give the reason and they have to give what they want you to buy so you can be learning can be done anywhere so but what I always say to them I want you to use this I was teaching before and after for a child and he was really having a tough time so I said to the mom just keep asking those questions as you're doing things what did we do before this we watch TV what are we going to do after dinner we're going to take a bath so if you use it as part of your everyday we don't realize sometimes that they're not picking up all these concepts and so sometimes we have to just be a little more specific and make a concerted effort to use the definite vocabulary words. So are most of the, I want to say disabilities that you deal with, is it primarily brain-based or are there also any physical difficulties? Well, speech and articulation sometimes is physical. Sometimes they need to do, sometimes they're oromotor. Just like we need to do sit-ups to strengthen our stomach, we do exercise to strengthen our mouth. Sometimes it'll be, it could have a medical where the tongue was tied and then we needed to clip it a little bit, the frenulum was too short. But we do exercises that will strengthen that. And sometimes you just find a child that is just low tone all over and includes the mouth. So we try to strengthen those and get them to say those sounds. Sometimes it's just them hearing the difference. I have one child that's in six weeks has learned three different sounds. There's nothing motoric there. It's just for whatever reason she didn't start saying them correctly. And now she's moving like a house on fire. And I had a little girl couple of years ago and she came and when I tested her my first instinct was that she sounds because some of the sounds they say she sounds like she's not hearing correctly and I said to the parents did you notice anything they hadn't you know that she didn't put turn the TV up really loud or anything like that but they went ahead and had went to an audiologist to have the hearing eval the child needed bilateral hearing aids so there was a you know, a medical reason why she wasn't saying that, why she wasn't saying the sounds correctly. Oftentimes, children who have ear infections as a young child, uh, they lose some parts of the development because every time you have an ear infection with fluid attached, it's kind of like hearing underwater. You know, it doesn't last that long because you pick up the ear infection, they clear it up, and then they're hearing correctly again. But sometimes those little times and depending sometimes you get a child who's had chronic ear infections so they've had more time underwater so to speak and so they have a bigger delay but once you know we've solved the problem of the ear infections maybe they decide maybe the doctors feel they need to insert tubes or whatever procedure they uh, determine necessary but we have to just catch them up and that's what happens. So sometimes there's a medical reason. Oftentimes people say to me, why do they not say these sounds correctly? I'm doing this 38 years. I don't know. So you can handle both physical and cognitive problems here? Right. We have many children that either have, you know, have autism. That's a very big part of our population. You know, people are more aware that the more therapy they get for a child at a younger age, the better they're able to function as they go into adulthood. So that's an important thing. So whatever it is, we're able to deal with it and treat them. 
often some of the treatments are similar but you have to go every child is different so i might work with one child at this level and go at this pace i might have to change that for a different child roughly how long does therapy take it is so different for every child and i tell parents particularly like when they have two-year-olds and i feel that in this day and age when i started 38 years 39 years ago i felt like you know i would say to people let's make a chart let's see how many words they have today and they have 10 but they should have 20 but let's give them two or three months and then keep that chart and and kind of rate them as they go along and see that they're progressing nowadays because so much is expected of a child in pre-k and kindergarten i feel like we don't have that luxury of time so i often say to parents look they're very close but it's your choice we can either start but the advantage of being in a private practice is that if we start and this child takes off in two months i can say to them you don't need us and and go on your way however some children it might be the beginning of noticing that they have a learning disability Speech and languages is the first thing we do that needs the brain to input. It's not like motoric where they just walk or they crawl. Those can be done no matter what. But this, for the first time now, they gotta kind of use a little different sections of the brain to put together to say the word and to have the right meaning go along with it. So for them, it could be the first sign of it. Not always, and, and not probably most of the time. So for some children, it's not uncommon for them to be here for a year or two years as a little child, and it depends as they get older. We talked a lot about children. What adults do you see? Most of the adults either have had a stroke, they have Parkinson's, they have ALS, or MS. That's the four main groups of adults that we deal with here on a regular basis. For the stroke victims, we're trying to get them back to where they were. That's really restorative. For the others, we're trying to keep them with a voice, you know, trying to use their voices the best they can. Oftentimes when some of these diseases hit, they stop speaking because it's harder. They Sometimes they sound different than what they remember. And you know, use it or lose it, I always tell my older people. Because, and sometimes too, even just older adults, they're living alone. So unless, you know, you talk to your children once or twice a day or a week, whatever it is, you know, if you don't use that voice, it's gonna get weaker and weaker. It's like any other muscle, gotta use it. So I tell them, sing with the radio, you know, talk back to the TV, say your prayers out loud, whatever you do on a daily basis, use your voice and talk out loud, you know, because you want to keep using that voice to maintain its strength. What are some of the differences between what's called restorative activities and compensatory activities? All right, restorative, we're going to put back. So that's what sometimes the insurance cover. If it's restorative, if you've had a skill and lost it, if you could, if you, you know, a child could have a traumatic brain injury just falling off a bike. You know, that's why nowadays most kids wear helmets. But so we want to, restorative is to bring it back. In terms of somebody who had a stroke, we oftentimes work with them because we want to bring them back to where they were prior to the stroke. We might not get them 100% back, but we're going to get them a good bit back to where they were that they can converse and have a conversation and 
do the things that they would like to do if they're young we get them back into the workforce compensatory is more what we do in terms of stuttering we want to compensate sometimes it also is in terms of children who really can't learn how to speak so they might use a device you know might so that's the assistive technology that's assistive technology you know Dynavox has been around for years but now more and more the these apps are coming out on iPads because it's so acceptable for a child to walk around with an iPad so we can use apps there that can help the child communicate like some of the children with autism for whatever reason are never able to really be clear enough they're trying to speak but they can't make themselves understood except to their immediate family so those people we want to make sure that they have a way of telling somebody if they're in danger, if they're hurt, if they're sick. So we want to make sure. So an, uh, a device like an iPad with a program on it, it's also great for the people who get Parkinson's or MS or ALS because those things are going to progress. We can't restore that. The, the disease is there and it's, it's a, we know medically it's a progressive disease. However, even though we know they're going to lose their ability, if we can give them some compensatory strategies so that they still can live a full life. We don't want them to be you know, stuck in their bodies as they were so many years ago. Now there's some alternatives. And there are, when you go to some of the shows to see some of these things, they're magnificent. There's ones that work through eye gaze, so you don't need to be able to use your hands anymore. Oh, some just are activated by whatever sound you can produce. So it's an amazing, you know, we live in a, an amazing technological age. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with all the technology, but it's out there. And, and there are people who can teach them. So if it's not me, I can certainly point you in the right direction. What's the most interesting or satisfying part of your job? I think the most satisfying is to see success. It's rare that we don't have a child or adult that succeeds. We see them, and it's almost nice. Like a woman was here the other day, and her child, I think, is around nine or ten years old. And she's been here in this office. She had what they call apraxia, which is a neurologically based articulation deficit. And we've been working with her since she's three years old. And she kind of, the last couple of months, we've been trying to talk to her and saying, you know, I don't think she needs us anymore, you know. And the mom wasn't, she was kind of on the same page but not a hundred percent ready to cut and so I spoke to her this week and she said you know they said in school she's doing great and they're not going to give her any more services so she said I think I'm ready you know I think she's done it and it's just I mean I said to her you got to stop by and say hello and we got to hear how she's doing because that's the most, most successful thing it's most satisfying well, if there's someone out there that would like to learn more about what you and what your company does, how can people get in contact with you? Okay, well, you can check out our website, which is www.seedsofthewillistons.com, or you can call us at 516-742-5243, or my email is my name, Eileen Devaney, D-E-V-A-N-E-Y, at seedsofthewillistons.com. And we're located in Williston Park on Hillside Avenue, 127. What does SEEDS stand for? Speech, Education, Evaluation, and Developmental Services. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the LIPN Podcast, brought to you by the Long Island Professional Network and produced by Smith Douglas Associates. To learn more about the LIPN, visit our website at lipn.org or join our meetup under Long Island Professional Network.